0: I'm Gabby. And I'm Kim. And we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not-so-famous cases
1: of Moida, ghosts, legends, and lore with a healthy dose
0: of debunking. I think the (laughs) debunking... Wow! We're starting off with a bang. I can't even say the word. <laughs> Sounds like you're scatting. I think I might be. Um, I, You know, it's funny. Funny you should say scatting. Uh, I was in choir when I was in high school, and I found a video the other day of me in choir, and we were doing, it was a jazz choir, and I was scatting, <laughs> and oh my God, it was the most embarrassing thing. I think I've, I was like... Oh, you're that way. girl. What, so
1: it just came out just now, <laughs> yep. is what yep. you're telling me. That was a
0: little bit of Kim, of high school, Kim's Kim jazz scatting.
1: Scat.
0: <laughs> anyway, we're going to release our album uh coming this winter. Ghoulish Tendencies, the jazz <laughs> <scatting> <laughs> <album>. <laughs> Scarier than the Babadook. Yeah. <laughs> This is where we're at, ladies and gentlemen. How y'all doing? (laughs) (laughs) Debunking. Debunking. My personal favorite thing, I've been doing it a lot this time of year. Debunking? Um, Well, no. Okay. You do that year round. Yeah, it gets extra this time of year. I... I've been getting a lot of messages from um because you know amongst amongst my my non-horror paranormal friends like my theater friends sure. or my my normie friends um I'm I'm the like person they go to for anything weird and so the amount of of text messages and emails lately I've gotten either from friends being like hey I have a friend or hey I got your name from so and so <laughs> about like their, oh yeah, no, about their haunted house or about some weird picture they took. And man, I feel like such an asshole. <laughs> I getting, mean, it is on brand, so. No, like it's not intentional. It's just, you know, hey, I gave your name to a friend of mine. They're going to send you some pictures because they think they have a ghost. And it's like, they send me these pictures and I'm like, I'm not denying you could have a ghost. This is not a picture of a ghost. This is dust. This is dust. Uh, more recently, this is a spider. <laughs> oh, fun! Yeah, that was the most recent. Was somebody had a spider like on the lens of their camera? Um, and it's like I'm not saying your your place is not haunted, but this is not a picture of your place being haunted. And like, man, I I feel like I killed joy. I mean, that's the theme. I know, but it's it's Scully. like. It's not intentional. I'm just like, wouldn't you rather, wouldn't you rather it be real and not a spider? I mean, to each their own. Depends on who you're talking to. I guess uh, I run into this on the tour sometimes where, and I've, I've actually started asking people when they've come to me with stories and they're like, what do you think? And I'm like, okay, do you want... Kim, the paranormal investigator, whose job it is, is to be skeptical? Or do you want me to smile, nod, and reinforce everything you're experiencing? And I get answers for both. I have some people who are like, can you just reinforce I'm like, absolutely. And I smile and nod. And I'm like, yep, yeah, sure. Oh, that's so interesting. Oh, yes, ghost. Mm-hmm. And then I have the people who are like, no, no, no. We really want to know what you think. And, and I tell them.
1: Bless you, because I will tell you that when I did that one ghost tour in New Orleans where they're like, take pictures in this park, they're all orbs. The, I, the whole time I was like, it's bugs. There's just bugs everywhere. They reflect light. And Terrence had to be like, you're ruining it for everybody. Well, but <laughs> that's, like, that's the talking. difference, though.
0: You were there as someone on the tour versus me as someone in giving the tour. That's true.
1: But I I would rather as someone on a tour have the person giving the tour not like lie to me about ghosts. Oh no
0: absolutely. And again with anything on the tour I don't. Um, In fact there's even some of the stories where I've never been able to verify certain details. I'm very upfront about that. We're like hey this is a story I'm gonna tell you but it's kind of local lore. Doesn't mean it didn't happen but I've not been able to find any evidence it's a lot of allegedly's a <laughs> lot of allegedlies. uh i'm very upfront about that but when it comes to people sharing their own personal stories um when i first started giving tours the scully and me could as i'm sure you've all heard uh, on the podcast could be kind of an asshole uh <laughs> 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 thank you for that thank you for that gabby <laughs> anytime um, you're all day No, well, okay, but it's, it, it is hard for me. Let me, let me, let me put it this way. I struggle and I, I have tried to be more open-minded to it. I, I struggle as a person who, who likes data and facts and evidence. Evidence. I struggle with the idea that somebody would not also want the same. But I appreciate the this. molders. Uh, well, not just the molders, but sometimes the idea of something is really exciting. It's, it's where it's like uh, for for because for me it's something like Bigfoot. You know, is there lots of super compelling evidence? Evidence. <laughs> but do I want to live in a world where Bigfoot exists? Yeah, I do. Duh. Do I want to live in a world where the Loch Ness monster exists? Absolutely. Duh. So um. I'm trying to be sensitive to the people who sometimes bring me things who just want the validation. If they were hiring me,
1: hmm? like the
0: pants. Like (sighs) Okay. Okay. If they are hiring pants. mm, If they're hiring me, it's different. If you're hiring me and you're spending money, or you're you're wanting like honest to God opinions versus somebody taking a tour and just wants me to listen to their story about their haunted house. Yes, I will absolutely do that. Now I've gotten a little bit better. Um, so debunking. Tell me about some debunking. debunking. Are
1: you debunking? We're actually not going to do any oh. debunking right now. Well, I mean, maybe I'll say this. Our topic for today is a little different, yeah. than any other topic we've covered. I think that there, there was a time when we covered ghost stories mm-hmm. a while back sure where it was like um like victorian christmas ghost stories oh, like the, yeah. was where that, they came from i can't if remember, remember if that was that. for our patreon or if that was an episode no that was an episode okay <laughs> <laughs> my brain man um, i'm pretty positive that was an episode but i think i read one like what we we covered the topic <gasps> oh. of ghost stories yes, yes, and yes, then yes. i actually read a uh, victorian ghost story for the and patreon recorded it and it's on Patreon, so actually both to your question. Okay, that was um, why it was in my brain. Yeah, and so like we haven't really talked about like literature true. very much, That's true. Um, in, in our podcast, but we have talked about movies. Mm-hmm. Obviously, cursed movies are, yes. are a recent one mm-hmm. as well, and we love a
0: horror moment. We do, right? It's one of my favorite horror. things let me pronounce that oh, i'm so sorry correctly. i thought you were saying we love a horror moment and i do love a horror moment yeah, tomato tomato
1: you know they both work um but for today what the moment i'm talking about is
0: horror mm, moment that or at the end uh, makes a difference
1: and then you know kim loves a horror moment and a horror i do i'm moment. single friends this is why especially a horror movie we all know that kim now loves, loves a horror movie
0: loves a horror movie i do from time to time i'm hmm. a little picky with my horror you're movies. more picky and to be fair you're also married to somebody who is terrified
1: terrified not, not, of horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> although he loves alien so you know sci-fi horror he's cool oh i got um, some titles
0: i need to send in your direction for him we can watch those. We'll, we'll talk about. We'll that
1: We'll talk later. about that later. But anywho, this is not creepy critics. Corner. It is not. However, it's almost like a really special, pointed creepy critics corner episode.
0: <gasps> this is so exciting
1: <laughs> because it's spooky season officially, guys. It is? And that's like you know what's funny is I don't know how to determine what is and isn't spooky season because for us it's year-round, it's your round. Like, no, yeah. For everybody else, it's it's. For our normal friends out the there who like to listen to us once a year or just, you know, <laughs> put up with us go the through rest all of year. our episodes during the whole, or during the uh, spooky season, mm-hmm. but even though we recorded it in like March, you know, <laughs> spooky season spooky officially. Season. So, let's gather round and discuss <gasps> okay. one of my personal favorites Do that share. is actually both <gasps> a book Ooh. and a movie. Kim, can you guess which classic horror novel we'll be talking about today? There's so many, Gabby. There's so many. I know. Uh,
0: Dracula.
1: Dracula. From our friend Bram Stoker. Bram
0: Stoker. I mean, we've already talked, I suppose, about Vlad. We kind of
1: talked about Vlad. Everyone's named Vlad. So I didn't want to, like, you know, bring him back from the dead. Huh? Huh? (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh,
1: but i'm gonna bring somebody else back from the dead we're gonna be talking about <gasps> oh. frankenstein
0: oh, no yes you know how I love a
1: frankenstein i love a frankenstein i uh, love frankenstein frankenstein is one of the most classic horror novels of all time oh. and mary shelley <gasps> mary shelley the story of mary shelley is also in my opinion more
0: fascinating than the book of frankenstein to be honest she is she is so interesting her life is so interesting
1: we're gonna be talking about it today because you know some people know the origin story of frankenstein really well Mm -hmm. you know it very well i don't know how many of our listeners know it very well but a lot of people are familiar with how frankenstein came about and as someone who studied English and literature in school, uh, this was actually one of my personal favorites for a very long time. And I Ooh. I know that, like, we've the talked modern about modern Prometheus. This. Yes, the modern Prometheus. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this before a lot about female writers um, yeah. during a time where female writers were not really acknowledged or given opportunities yeah. the way men were. And I think Absolutely. I gravitate to... Um, authors like that during the time period in which they were writing, especially someone as influential as as Mary
0: Shelley and the mm-hmm. what she produced and birthed, if you will, what she birthed. Yeah, that's which talking about what she birthed is very interesting, isn't it? Interesting it, is this interesting? It is
1: well, having said that, this is not a book report. Okay, I will just <laughs> say this right now. Um, this is rather a dissection pun intended, uh, of the birth of this literary monster and its mothers, Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin Shelley's, Mm. her life that led her to create such a glorious beast. So let's start from the beginning. We're going to go back to some of the history about Mary Shelley, and we're going to start with her parents and her upbringing. And see how she got to Frankenstein. So, Regency period time. Mm-hmm. Think about, you know, Jane Austen, Bridgerton for our <laughs> friends who love Netflix and a good puff sleeve, an Empire Waste.
0: I mean, I respect for an Empire Waste, but I also still. I will watch the shit out of Bridgerton because I love a period piece. You even know, though I watched the first season, I have not watched the second. Um... That's really where I'm ending with okay, <laughs> that Well, anyway, that very time pretty, period. But it is yes, very that pretty. That,
1: the Regency period was a, a time all about elegance. It was about socialites. There, were, there was a lot of grand expectation for how people were to perform and mm. look. Um, and there was a norm, a cookie cutter, if you will, of people that fit into that cookie cutter. And we are going to step outside of the cookie cutter and meet Shelley's parents. Um, her parents were atypical of that age and uh-huh. were in like polar opposite of what Jane Austen novels represented. <laughs> which I thought would be a fun thing for us to talk about because I feel like we all relate to that a little bit. Uh-huh. But her parents constantly battled against the status quo of what was expected of people. Uh-huh. Her mom was named Mary Wollstonecraft, and she um also by the way, this episode's gonna be called Everyone's Name Mary, uh, because there's lots of Marys truth. involved in this. Hashtag one. Uh, truth. Everyone's name Mary. Um but her mom, Mary Wollstonecraft, was anti-establishment. She, she was like feminist as fuck, ooh, wasn't she? Yeah. Ooh, yeah. doggy. Uh-huh. Uh, Love she it. wrote all about how women should be equal to men and yeah, how awful Mary. it was that women were not were supposed to be educated Breach. but but be entirely reliant on men to succeed in life and she hated it. Yes, um, so do I. And so like this was, you know, late 1700s mm-hmm. when she was like writing about all this stuff. She was a writer. Love it. Love it. And um sh- she actually uh wrote about how to raise a baby, which was really kind of ironic oh. because hmm. uh she actually never got to raise mary her daughter um and because she didn't get to raise her daughter which we'll get into that in a second mary shelley her daughter uh ironically knew her as a writer more than a mother and would read her materials more frequently than not well because
0: she died she did
1: but let's let's rewind okay Rewind really quick, because we're going to get to the death, but I just wanted to point out that she was such a significant writer that that's how her daughter knew her, even though they didn't know each other in life. Sure. So let's go to the moment of time where Wollstonecraft first met her fellow political radical and future husband, uh, William Godwin. So she found her match in 1791. Uh, at a London dinner party hosted by Aww. the publisher of Thomas Paine's Rights of Man. First of all, the irony of that
0: <laughs> to me is very
1: funny. Um, so Wollstonecraft and Godwin were, quote, mutually displeased with each other, end quote. Godwin That's later amazing. wrote. Godwin That's wrote amazing. that. Love. Love. And apparently it was because they were both the smartest people in the room and they could not stop arguing the entire evening.
0: Is this my problem when I go on first dates? Kim, this means that you met your like match basically. is Shit. what it. Means. But then I got pissed off at them.
1: Well, okay. So that's what happened here when they first met, right? So after they met at this point, um, that was 1791. In 1792, Wollstonecraft wrote, Vindication of the Rights of Woman. The next year in 1793, Godwin published Political Justice. Mm. So they both liked the same kind of stuff, but just butted heads a bit. That's adorable. Um, Now, in 1793, during an affair with the American speculator and diplomat Gilbert Imlay what a name!
0: uh, It's a great name, right? He sucked
1: though. Uh, Wollstonecraft was pregnant from him. She gave birth to a daughter, she named her Fanny. Uh, oh and Imlay pretty <laughs> abandon uh, uh, pretty immediately abandons both of them which Aww. screw
0: Imlay. Yeah Emily screw sucks. you Imlay. Imlay sucks like you, you can go suck eggs in hell. Goodbye. Goodbye. So Goodbye. After and actually this is
1: this is very sad, so I don't want to joke about this part, but um I know Mary uh, Wollstonecraft was really affected by this, um, and she tried to commit suicide by throwing herself into Aww. the Thames River. Oh, um, But gr- luckily, she was pulled out um, because it was a really busy area. There were a lot of ships going through that area for trade purposes, and someone saw her, pulled her out, and she lived. Glad they did that, because if they didn't, sure. we would not have Frankenstein or Mary Shelley. Um, also, she lived, yeah. so. Shortly after that, she is reconnected with her arch nemesis slash uh, lover, now lover, William Godwin. Lover. So they become lovers in
0: 1796.
1: Lover. Kim, what does this tell you?
0: That they were having sex?
1: Yes, but it also means that if you got into an argument with someone, maybe you should
0: reconnect with them. Ah. <laughs> uh... <laughs> hold on which one okay uh wait no i'm making a list in my head shit no seriously <laughs> i argue with virtually like 90 percent of the people i meet speaks volumes all right
1: well it, you have Gabby. a long Damn list it. of
0: people to reach out to so anywho
1: the two reconnect now mary gets pregnant again um They end up getting married right after she gets pregnant for the sake of the baby. Fun fact, neither of them believed in marriage, but they wanted to get married because of the baby. And Godwin took Fanny in as his own daughter. Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin was born in London. Sad story, though. Ten days later, the mom, OG Mary Wollstonecraft died of an infection contracted from the fingers of a physician who reached into her uterus to remove the afterbirth. Jesus Christ. That's really sad and really awful. Um, Mm -hmm. So Godwin names his daughter after her mother, Mary. In one of the things that I was reading, and I actually got this really rad article um, about Frankenstein and, and Mary Shelley from The New Yorker. There's an article on there. I'll put it in the, the show notes where I got some really great quotes that I'm going to use for today. But um, they actually hinted that his daughter bore the name of his dead wife as if she could be brought back to life. Oh. Which is so sad. But also that could be an assumption. A lot of people sure. were named Mary yeah, it was, speaking, it was a very common name.
0: Yeah. Speaking of which, very, very British. <laughs> not
1: only did his wife named Mary die and mm-hmm. have a daughter named Mary, but the new woman that he chose to marry was also oh, named Mary.
0: <laughs> Everybody's name. Everybody's name
1: Mary. This one <laughs> was Mary Jane Claremont. Um, she married Godwin shortly after that and would actually prove to be a pretty horrible person. Um, I she, know. she was an abusive stepmother to Fanny oh. and Mary, unfortunately, oh. which obviously had some kind of effect on Mary growing up.
0: Young of Mary, course. Mary Shelley, yeah.
1: let me specify. Um, Jared, cause everybody's named everybody's Mary. Everybody's named Mary. Um, and Mary Jane Claremont brought with her to this marriage, two children named Charles and Claire. So now there's four kids. So as Mary Shelley was growing up, um, Godwin actually nicknamed her Mercury because of her energy as a child, which I thought was
0: really
1: cute. Yeah. That's so cute. And I mentioned this earlier, but the way that she remembered her mom was by reading her work. Um, And that's how that was her only way of really getting to know her mom that wasn't around anymore. And she had left all of these books and writings behind she actually, Mary Shelley, learned all of her mother's writings by heart by the time <gasps> she was 10 years old. Oh. It's so sad, but so sweet. It's very sweet. So, of course, a 10-year-old is going to be influenced by this uh, feminist <laughs> writing. Yeah. And uh, uh, like her mother, Mary refused to conform and constantly rebelled. Nice. My kind of girl. Amen. She hated domestic pursuits. So here's a funny story. Same. So apparently if somebody asked Mary Shelley to cook dinner, instead of actually like cooking dinner, she would just grab something, throw yes. it into the oven, and then leave it and go read a book and just would let it burn for whoever this, was going to find it. This is my girl. So love that sass of Mary love. Shelley. Love. So Mary loved her dad. She would hang out with William Godwin all the time. And he actually had quite the uh, literary and famous circle of friends. He hung out with like Charles Lamb, William Wordsworth, and poet Percy Shelley. (gasps) Mm, that percy name might sound familiar eh, mildly familiar just yeah, a smidge. just a smidge way, way bit familiar so percy shelley actually spent a lot of time at godwin's house in london really yeah he would hang out uh with william godwin a lot he actually oh. was thrown out of oxford <laughs> for Same. his for his atheism <laughs> <laughs> And he was disowned by his father. So he kind of saw William Godwin as his like intellectual hero and surrogate father. So he would hang out with him all the time. So, of course, while he's hanging out at William Godwin's house, guess who he meets? He meets Mary, Mary Shelley, his future wife. And he met her when he was 20 years old.
0: And oh, she was babies.
1: 15.
0: Oh, babies.
1: <laughs> and it was 1812. I mean, more acceptable <laughs> in 1812 than it is today. Well, there's a lot of things that are unacceptable about this story. And just like, also to me, wild that, like, the knowing that it was the regency period and that there sure. were these like high expectations of social life and like, women to act a certain way and sure. all of that, uh-huh. some of the debauchery that happened within this story is wild. I like debauchery. Debauchery is fun. For example, Percy Shelley, when uh-huh. he met Mary when he was uh-huh. 20, was actually sure. already married. <gasps> Bitch, no! Not only was he already married, he was married to a woman who was pregnant with their second child. <gasps> oh, that's not that cool, man cool when he started to pursue Mary so all right I immediately think Percy Shelley not the coolest of dudes but whatever we're not here for my opinion um maybe we are I don't know we'll see um but Percy and Mary Godwin uh spent their time together passionately reading their works of her parents while reclining on Wollstonecraft's grave, her mother's grave at the St. Pancras churchyard.
0: Okay. Hold up a sec. <laughs> Cause like, okay. I don't know, Gabby, if you were like me in high school, like I definitely recall there was a period of time where me and my high school friends would like go to cemeteries and Ouija board. Oh, I totally did that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh but like reclining on our parents' grave. <laughs> it gets better. Ooh. We have a quote from Mary
1: Shelley's diary. <gasps> quote, Go to the tomb and read, she wrote in her diary. Go with Shelley to the courtyard. End quote. But apparently they were doing more than just reading and i'm using air quotes with reading because she was pregnant when she ran away with him girl fleeing her father's house in the middle of the night along with her stepsister claire claremont it's a great name right just really repetitive claire, claire. claire. who made that choice um men <laughs> true apparently they wouldn't just sit around and read That's, I guess, what the kids are calling it these days. Uh, But, yes, somebody got pregnant on that grave. So, all right, setting the stage very early on. Um, So, of course, Mary's dad is pissed. He does not approve of this relationship due to the fact that Percy is already married and expecting another child. That's just bad. He's disappointed in Percy. He's mad at his daughter. And it caused a huge rift in his relationship with Mary. Unfortunately. Now, Mary was probably swooning over Percy because he was such an intellectual writer and a bad boy, if you will. Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? Kim Douthat, everyone. Uh, So not only was he expelled from Oxford, like I mentioned previously, but he also apparently tried to convince his first wife to share herself with his best friend in an open marriage. (laughs) Uh so he was Polly before Polly was popular apparently and then similarly ah. Percy also tried to get Fanny Mary's sister to elope with him and Mary but she like was like I'm okay. not doing that.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah so he clearly is I don't know just really really doing his own thing. So in 1814 Percy Shelley and Mary end up eloping in Europe. They go to Switzerland, they go to Germany, they go to Italy, they go all around. Enter a friend of his, <gasps> Lord Byron. Lord Byron! Kim, tell me what you know about Lord Byron.
0: Uh, <laughs> Lord Byron, man. Um, Well, he was a poet. Yep. Uh, and his writing, for those of you who've never read any of his poetry, well, he, he's considered by... At least in literature circles, like is one of the greatest English poets ever. um still, like I first read his stuff, I think probably as an undergrad. Mm-hmm. I read some of his his poetry uh it's it's a weird to say it's hot because it's kind of hot, okay, but it's <laughs> really funny that you
1: say that because to know context <laughs> about Lord Byron is the best yeah. part, so um. Byron right. was not the best influence, I will just say, as a human, to Mary or Claire. Oh no, he was raunchy. <laughs> doggy. Uh So he if, also
0: he had like, I mean, because he was known for his relationships. Period. Like across the board, men, women, relationships. Anyone? His sister. Yeah. So no, he he liked the sex.
1: He did like the sex. He actually I brought he indulged his passions. That's just the fancier way of saying that. But it included incest, which was sleeping with his half sister. Mm. Incest and is not best. Incest is definitely not best. But he also like had a ton of kids and he abandoned all of them. Like truly had yeah. all these different affairs with women and had a ton of kids from them. And then Well, because he was having all of all.
0: the sex. Oh yes.
1: Um, And I love this. I found this as a quote. One of his lovers described Byron as, quote, mad, bad, and dangerous to know, (laughs) end quote. But, like, I mean, because he was, like, from a a wee little lad, he was kind of the player. Oh, for sure. He also just, like, had some wild times if you want to like have a fun time research we call Lord debauchery yeah debauchery that this is where the debauchery really starts to come to fruition if you will so of course he's friends with uh percy shelley of course he is uh and so in uh the spring of 1816 byron left england because he was fleeing the scandal of Apparently, his wife and daughter left him when she found out that he had slept with his sister and it was a whole ordeal. But like, like you do. <laughs> there were also so many other people. <laughs> it wasn't just that. So he, he tries to leave England to avoid drama. He goes to Geneva and specifically he goes to the Villa Dietate at Lake Geneva in Switzerland. And he meets up with Percy Shelley, Mary Godwin and Claire Claremont there. What I love is that, you know how like you have all these debauchery people on one side the of, of the plate On the other yeah. side of it, you have what people called moralizers, which were like all the conservatives uh, the,
0: that like the boring people hated boring fun, people. fun haters.
1: Um, so the moralizer is <gasps> called this group of people, the League of Incest. <laughs> what a name. Also, that <laughs> sounds like a great band name, um, but also just really questionable. Um now, here's some fun historical facts. I didn't know this until I researched this, but 1816 was actually called, quote, the year without summer. Yeah. And it was yeah, yeah. Uh, due to climate abnormalities, due to volcanic eruptions. I was say the,
0: vol- the volcano, yeah. Yeah,
1: of Mount Tambora. Uh, it actually yeah. prevented sunlight from getting through, which was a literal and figurative dark period for me. Yeah, it was
0: literally sunlight didn't get through. There's, I, I, at a creepy, creepy corner, A million years ago, I actually recommended, I think I talked about the American Murder Song, and Mm -hmm. part of what they talk about is The Year Without Summer. Like, a bunch of their music is about uh, 1816, The Year Without Summer.
1: I remember you talking about that now.
0: Look at that, full circle. Murder ballads, man. Murder ballads. Love a murder ballad. Awesome. Well, madam I'm on the, I'm on dropping the F-bomb this evening, apparently. It's it's because I'm not helming the episode. (laughs) That's totally fine. So, what, what I think is
1: really funny is that apparently they had all these, like, outdoor activities planned, but it was too cold yeah. and dark to do them. Because it was winter. Because it was <laughs> winter year-round. Um, they were there for actually a pretty long time, like, from spring through summer. And I guess they just kept mm-hmm. waiting for it to get nice out, and it never I'm did.
0: Like, is it summer yet? Is it summer yet? No, you're is just in the Pacific yet? Northwest.
1: <gasps> oh, um, womp, womp. Womp, womp, womp. So um, due to the weather, they remained inside and had to keep themselves entertained.
0: so by summer
1: claremont was pregnant by byron (laughs) yeah
0: there it is
1: (laughs) i know how this entertainment works air quotes entertained um and so byron apparently got bored after that he didn't have anybody else to impregnate because mary was with percy and you know they had their thing going on Uh um so to spice things up byron decided to read ghost stories from the phantasma oriana which is a sinister German anthology. Fun oh, fact. I need to read this. I know. Look it up. You <laughs> um, had me at sinister. Not right? <laughs> and so it was kind of like a classic ghost story setting. And I feel like you I hear see. this story about how all this stuff came to fruition um, in lots of historical references or podcasts or whatever shows you watch yes. about. Yeah, anything. <laughs> um, about horror like ghost stories as you read it around a fire right when it's dark and cold and stormy and so that's exactly what they were doing and after um they were reading these ghost stories byron then challenged everyone to write a ghost story scarier than those that they were reading so byron writes about vampire legends which i love but also like okay byron (laughs) nobody can see the gesture i'm making right now (laughs) Nope. Nobody can see the fact that you are jerking off the air for Lord Byron. You are jerking off Lord Byron's ghost right now, double fisting it. That is what's happening in Kim's video for our listeners at home that do not have a visual reference. Thank you, Kim and Lord Byron. Awesome. Um, You're welcome. So Mary Shelley then births her own literary monster. Frankenstein. 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 The modern Prometheus. The modern Prometheus is born. And I'm going to talk a little bit about this kind of sporadically scattered, I just want to kind of talk through it with you. Uh Uh And Frankenstein was a blend of romanticism and gothic horror that some critics would say actually mirrored the relationship between Mary and Percy um and frankenstein is four stories in one it's an allegory it's a fable an Mm -hmm. epistolary novel and a bit of an autobiography a chaos of literary fertility that left its very young author at pains to explain her quote hideous progeny originally it was published in 1818 And when it was published, it was with an unsigned preface by Percy Shelley with a dedication to William Godwin. What's also interesting here is that when it was published, Mary Shelley's name was not on it. It was published anonymously. And a lot of people originally thought that Percy Shelley actually was the writer of Frankenstein. And about 13 years later, there was a revised edition that was released in which Mary Shelley smoothed over some controversial themes that she initially hinted at. Uh, incest between brother and sister. <clears throat> Lord Byron maybe inspired that? I'm just saying. What? Um, who knows? Probably. Likely. Now, in the introduction she wrote, uh, she said, quote, how I, then a young girl, came to think of and to dilate upon so very hideous an idea, quote, and made up a story that most people have heard in hearing about the birth of Frankenstein in which she insisted that the story had come to her in a waking dream and that writing it consisted of, quote, making only a transcript of that dream. To me, that is so sad because it's not taking responsibility of actually creating this herself. But actually, uh-huh. saying it's coming from something she thought of in a dream, um, which a lot of people don't really like register with at all, um, but that's something just to make note of. Give uh-huh. yourself some credit, man. So let's talk about the modern Prometheus and where that name came from for a second. he wh- He was who? Created man in Greek mythology. So, Mm -hmm. an accurate portrayal of this monster. The monster proves intelligent, but is shunned and rejected by society. If you haven't read Frankenstein, what are you doing with your life? So, I'm just not like, yeah. If if you don't at least
0: know the very basic of the Frankenstein story, I I got nothing. (laughs) Just you have homework. That's all I'm going to say. Just be better. Be better. Do Do better.
1: Do better. But both the main characters. Dr. Frankenstein and the monster Mm -hmm. are extreme opposites of each other. Mm -hmm. And there's no real hero in the story. Um, No,
0: well, and it's, it's really, really interesting too, because if your only frame of reference, like, and I'm not going to be that dick that's like, actually Frankenstein is uh, the doctor and not the monster. Cause like at this point, pop culture just calls him Frankenstein. But if you are not familiar with the source material, how Frankenstein's monster is often portrayed is very, very different mm-hmm. than um, this, like, incoherent, unable to say uh, thoughts. Like, if you've read the book, oh my
1: God. Oh, yeah. We're going to get into it, too. And yeah. I think, like, that's a really great point is, like, what the point of reference is. And so, mm-hmm. like, I'm using the literal original novel the, as the, the point the of reference. The
0: manuscript as opposed to, I, and then, in, in fact, I'll be speaking to this later in Creepy Critics Corner. Um, most people's frame of reference is the 1931 yeah. movie. It is. You mm-hmm. are not wrong. I am not wrong. Um, I know my film history. Yes, you do. <laughs> Across the world, new threats emerge. Man-apes prowl the forests of North America. Giant cephalopods entwine ships in the Pacific. Man-eating crocodiles gnash unsuspecting swimmers
1: in Australia. But one bureau has you covered with the latest
0: on monstrous shenanigans in your backyard. Tune in, gentle listeners, for breaking news fresh from the teletype Listen closely, for your lives may depend on it. Turn up the volume. It's time for... The The Monster
1: Monster Report! Report. The story is an elemental battle between good and evil. And there's a lot of struggle that happens within it. And Uh so when this was published, it was an instant hit. But, of course, like, you're going to have your conservative people are uh, people we were talking about earlier. Some people who were not fans. Boring. Some guy named John Croker. Also, like, what a name. Uh, He was a conservative member of parliament (laughs) called Frankenstein. uh, Frankenstein. I like that you're saying Frankenstein uh, now. I did that called frankenstein uh, a quote tissue of horrible and disgusting absurdity End quote <laughs> radical unhinged and immoral whatever fuck off uh but let's think about context and timing for a second here because we talked about birth earlier and you're like that's an interesting thing to bring up so let's go back to that let's circle back Uh, Mary Shelley began writing Frankenstein two years after she had become pregnant with her first child, a baby that she did not name. She actually kept a diary, which was kind of interesting. I know I used a quote from it earlier, but I wanted to read some little bits of her diary that she wrote about her baby. Nurse the baby, read, she had written in her diary day after day until the 11th day. Like that's all she did. Nurse the baby, then read. Nurse the baby, read. Nurse the baby, read. And then she wrote, I awoke in the night to give it suck, it appeared to be sleeping so quietly that I would not awake it. And then in the morning, quote, find my baby dead. With grief at that loss came a fear of, quote, a fever from the milk. She thought she Mm. killed her baby um she wrote dream that my little baby come to life again that it had only been cold and that we rubbed it before the fire and it lived she wrote Uh, in her diary awake and find no baby uh, so sad she actually was pregnant again only weeks after her baby died Uh, and she was actually likely still nursing her second baby when she started writing frankenstein yeah, And by the time she finished writing it, she was pregnant with her third child. Um, clearly, there is a lot of stress of tragic events in her life that inspired the narrative of, you know, Frankenstein in general. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll hold that thought on, on the babies for a second. I'm going to come back to that. But the death of her mother, which was caused by her birth, essentially, Um Left Mary feeling horribly guilty, even though she's not the one who caused, you know, the infection that happened within her mother. But sure, had the birth not happened, she would, probably would not have died that way. Right. Um, her half sister Fanny committed suicide. Oh. Um, and it was just as her short story of Frankenstein, because it started off as a short story. Just as she was starting to complete the short story, that's when Fanny um, took her life. Mm. Uh, Shortly after that, Percy's wife, who he was originally married to when he met Mary, drowned herself in the Serpentine Lake. Oh, shit. Um, Mary felt responsible for this uh, because she took Percy away from her to begin with. And she was pregnant with Percy's child uh, when Mm. Mary started to get together with uh, Percy. So after Percy's wife died, Mary married Percy. And she kept her mother's maiden name. it was not sure. uh, she didn't keep Godwin. She just kept Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley mm. so going back to her own kids, she actually lost three children. The first mm. one was unnamed. that's the one that I was talking about with the diary right
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: after that, uh she had Clara, who was born in eighteen eighteen right before her novel was published mm. um. And then her son William died the next year from malaria. Oh. She also suffered multiple miscarriages. So she was um, pregnant a lot.
0: That's rough.
1: One that's of the so hard. It's so, so hard. Like I can't even imagine processing all of that, especially no. during the time when like medicine was the way it was back then. Yeah. Uh. Um, One of the miscarriages that she had was so severe that she almost died of bleeding uh, that only stopped when her husband made her sit on ice. Uh. Muriel Spark wrote a biography about Shelley. It was published in 1951 and on the Mm -hmm. hundredth anniversary of her death, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, Spark worked closely with Shelley's diaries, the ones that we were talking about. And she actually paid extra attention to eight years of, almost constant pregnancy and loss. Mm. Uh, She argued that Frankenstein was uh, no minor piece of genre fiction, but a literary work of striking originality inspired by the loss that she went through. Her fourth child, Percy Florence, was born in 1819. Mm -hmm. He lived. But three years after Percy Florence was born, Percy Mm -hmm. Shelley died. Percy Shelley died from drowning in a shipwreck that he was on. Mm. Now, Mary Shelley ended up outliving her friends and family. And in 1851, she tragically died from paralysis from an undetected brain tumor, Mm. which like wild.
0: That's now, crazy.
1: That's a lot of loss. Like it's obviously like loss. talking about her death came way later, but I just sure, like to sure, give sure. like the big picture of like what her life actually looked like. Mm. And with so much loss, you could see how she would want to bring the dead back to life. And right oh,
0: absolutely. About what she could relate to, right? No, that I mean, honestly, I like it's so hard to fathom dealing with something like that. Yeah. And what that would do, how that would impact you and your outlook on the world, on your psyche. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it, it puts a really interesting context into how she came up with the story she came up with.
1: For sure. And yeah. um, it, it just, it really helped her cope, I think, right? Yeah, no, was absolutely. coping mechanism, right? Can relate. I think we all have <sighs> our things that we utilize to, to cope with things. Mm-hmm. Um, And something that she was so good at was really gaining the sympathy of her readers with Frankenstein. Uh. Um, She really gained sympathy from Frankenstein to the creature, even when it came to the murders that the creature did. Um, And then because there was first it was Frankenstein's little brother and then one of his best friends and then of his bride but you still felt sympathy and empathy for the monster, even throughout all of this quote, uh-huh. the justice is indisputably on his side End quote uh-huh. one critic wrote in 1824 quote, uh-huh. and his sufferings are to me touching to the last degree End quote. Uh-huh. So she utilized her p- pain and suffering to create that empathy and sympathy within her character. And an interesting fact, I know I mentioned earlier that she was named after her mom, that mm-hmm. her first child was not, did not have a name. Right. Um, and when she published the book, Frankenstein, it was published anonymously with no name. That's right. Similarly, the monster
0: didn't have a name in the original book. It's not why Frankenstein. It's called Frankenstein all the time. Right. Exactly. Even though it's, that was not his name. No, I that mean, was the Frankenstein thing. was Dr. Frankenstein. Right. And yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And her first child didn't have a name. There's a pattern here. Mm -hmm. And actually, in the first theatrical production of Frankenstein, it was staged in London in 1823. The monster Mm. was listed on the playbill as just like a blank line in quotes. I love
0: that. Mm.
1: Why do you think that is, Kim?
0: That Frankenstein was listed as a blank
1: Not just that, but like that there was no name associated with the novel, the monster. Where do you think that came
0: from? Uh, you mean in terms of authorship?
1: Or in general. Like, what, what? why would she not put her name on it?
0: Well, she was a woman.
1: That's part of it, for
0: sure. I mean, like... <laughs> like, to me, the initially not naming herself as author had a lot to do with the time period. Mm-hmm. Um, she wasn't writing romances. She wasn't writing, wow. you know, like, we, we spoke about Bridgerton as, like, jokingly, but you know, Jane Austen would be the the contemporary I would think of. Um, And Jane Austen was, and again, not without some controversy around her, but like she wrote romances, women writing science fiction, women writing horror was not, they
1: didn't. (laughs) No, they didn't. And it's, I feel like that's, to protect herself, her husband, her unborn yeah.
0: children, I don't know. <laughs> well, and even, I mean, like, this is, this is... <sighs> um, People would not necessarily have purchased a novel about the topic she wrote on if they knew oh, they were I written... By a woman, yeah, that's because women writing was already like mm. a big deal, yeah, but like, if you're writing something romantic, okay, okay. We mm-hmm. had again Jane Austen mm-hmm. later, the Brontes who were writing like this gothic stuff, uh that was that was fine. we could we were okay, we can accept that. But again, women writing on these types of topics that was not <laughs> something no.
1: You know what it makes okay. me think of, too? What? I just thought of this right now. It had nothing to do mm-hmm. with anything I researched. In mm-hmm. Crimson Peak, Edith, the main yep. character, is a writer. Mm-hmm. She's a woman. Yep. And they mm-hmm. only want to publish her stuff if it's romantic. Yep. And she references Mary Shelley.
0: Yep. And, I mean, it's it's like even looking at something like Little Women, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Joe. Yeah. Joe, which is a name that can be masculine or feminine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did I say feminine? Feminine <laughs> could be feminine, could be
1: masculine, could Lord. be uh, masculine. Feminine,
0: feminine. Who knows? Uh, but it's it. It was definitely think for for women writing a certain time period. Like there were topics that were okay for you to write about. There were topics that were not. Yeah. So you were better off either writing under a nom de plume or writing anonymously. Speaking of which. Hmm. I have this
1: quote from the New Yorker article I was talking about, I wanted to share with you. Uh, uh-huh. <clears throat> this nameless mode of naming the uh-huh. unnamable is rather good. Shelley remarked on the creature's theatrical billing. She herself had no name of her own like the creature pieced together from cadavers collected by Victor Frankenstein. Her name was an assemblage of parts. The name her mother, the feminist Mary Wollstonecraft, stitched to that of her father, the philosopher William Godwin, grafted onto that of her husband, the poet Percy Shelley, As if Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin Shelley were the sum of her relations, bone of their bone and flesh of their flesh, if not the milk of her mother's milk, since her mother had died 11 days after her giving birth, mainly too sick to give suck, awoke and found no mother, end quote.
0: Well, okay, so what's interesting about that is and again, this is this is delving back into some of the literature classes I took in undergrad, which was one or two years ago. (laughs) Why are you laughing at that? It's like, no, that's not accurate. <laughs> so, well, to be fair, I also have a master's degree. Um, yeah. Uh, so I I recall this <laughs> is probably the last time I like went in depth on Mary Shelley too. Um, talking about that when specifically the 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 monster not being given a name mm-hmm. that frankenstein's own realization upon creating it was that um it was a mistake
1: Mm -hmm.
0: it was something he should not have done and that this very idea of um like (laughs) that the the, the behind is like not wanting to give a name to something that you regret Um that's interesting. Even though it's it's alive, it's here, it's in front of you. Um but you cannot and and because it's alive and right here in front of you and you cannot like stop it now that it's alive. But you don't want to have it here and so naming it gives it ownership. It gives it identity, it gives it a presence in the world as long as something remains unnamed.
1: There's no emotional connection to something that's unnamed also.
0: No, which is, which is very human too. Right. Like, and, and I think, you know, it might kind of sound silly, but the way we name plants, the way we name anything, anything you put a name to, you connect to. Mm-hmm. Giving it a name gives it personality, gives mm-hmm. it identity. Yeah, like we name Spooky, the puppy. We, yeah, no, no, no. It's true. Like we name animals, but, but. To, to counter that okay this might and i apologize for being that guy um i've been a vegetarian since i was a teenager and i don't fucking care if you eat meat or not that's i'm not one of those vegetarians i'm not a vegan huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah even vegetarian judge vegans whatever um disclaimer that was kim not me <laughs> I don't judge vegans, Uh, but no, 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 no. But my point is, and, and it's something that I, I brought up with a few friends of mine who are really, really big on like, you know, rights for animals. And, and, um, I have a friend who is like, she's a dog trainer and she gets really funny about anything having to do with dogs and abusing dogs and dog fighting and dog rings and whatever. She's a meat eater. And I may have gotten her real mad at me once because I was like, listen, I hear you and I think all this stuff is atrocious, but also you don't feel the same way when we're talking about cows or pigs or chickens or, you know, like they're, they're nothing to hurt. They're nameless. They don't exist. But a dog has a name. A dog is a pet. A dog has an identity that we connect to. Mm-hmm. A cow does not. Unless you've named the cow, in which case, again, once you've named something, it becomes real. It becomes a personality. Well, as soon like, as you put a name to something, yeah. it exists beyond a, a you know, like rats. You, you exterminate rats, but as soon as you name a rat, you're connected to it. Giving something a name gives it something beyond... Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yes, it, it gives uh, yes.
1: it. It gives it an emotional connection. That's what I was and saying. You, you
0: emotionally yeah. connect to something. You put personality, even if there's not personality there. And I say this. I name the rats on Pioneer Square. Well, it and exists I know, because it, it exists exist to me. And
1: yeah, and I mm. think that's a great. And they point. become
0: bigger. They become more. Well, once also I've named
1: it. You can identify it too.
0: Yes. And yes. I think
1: that's one of the things that I was also reading about that I thought was so interesting is that um, <laughs> apparently a mid-20th century critic wrote that Shelley's wife knew um, the eerie charms of the morbid, the occult, and the scientifically bizarre. Go her. That was my Love that. In high
0: school. Um,
1: and apparently because of that, she only utilized other people's ideas is what this person was saying. And so <sighs> I know. Um, yeah, so, so does
0: Shakespeare. Whatever.
1: But no one's going to criticize him because he's a man. Um, but basically it was saying that, you know, the Idea of the author as a vessel for ideas of other people. Like she took sure. her ideas from her husband and her dad and her mom's writings and just put them together into the monster, basically. Um, sure. And so, not really giving her credit for her what she came up with. Which, again, in a waking dream, that whole bit. Um, it's just it's sad. Uh, and the other piece of it too that I know we talked a little bit earlier about, like Jane Austen. Emily Dickinson is another one.
0: Right? I, can I just say, I'm an Emily Dickinson fangirl.
1: I, I love Emily Dickinson. They were more so went, considered like spinsters and virgins mm, and like wrote about all this be, romance and all this stuff, right?
0: And Dark Sh- I love her because I could not stop for death. He kindly stopped for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to be fair, I went to Emily Dickinson Elementary School.
1: Oh, no wonder it rubbed off on
0: you. Right?
1: But that's, that's one of the things that I wanted to point out, though, is that, like, Mary Shelley was an exception compared to them. Um, and it was actually in the 70s, there were a lot of feminist literary critics who wrote about Frankenstein um, as establishing the origins of science fiction mm-hmm. via female gothic, which I thought was
0: awesome. Well, because she gets, she gets overlooked when people talk about, because people look at, like, Lovecraft a lot for, mm-hmm. for science fiction, mm-hmm. and they kind of overlook Mary Shelley, and you're like, bitch, who wrote Frankenstein? <laughs> Amen. But that's
1: the whole point, though, is that she also was a mother, and a lot of the other Yours, writers were not. Yeah. They were nope. spinsters they and had, virgins, right? Like, yeah. so, and if they were men, they had la penis, Right, and with I, I almost think that she was also looked down upon even further for being a mother and writing something like that
0: well, because it's it is like, and I'm saying this is someone who's not a mother <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a very different perspective, birthing something, birthing something someone who dies multiple, multiple. That is, is, is a different experience than, than going through life and not experiencing sex because love and sex are different things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's good. That's brilliant. Like, we want these different perspectives. It shouldn't be a competition. It shouldn't be something where we're like, well, this person was this and this person was this. It's like, no, no, no. Like, this was an amazing perspective. She wrote this thing because she had a different look on life. And that's brilliant. And this person wrote this thing. And this was their outlook on life. And that's brilliant. Why do we have to put specifically women writers? Because nobody talks this way about male writers. They don't. No one says this dude got his dick wet and this dude didn't. <laughs> or this dude liked vagina and this dude liked not vagina. Nobody <laughs> says that. Except me. I just said it. Kim Delphin said it. Kim Delphin. But, everyone. But, but do you know what I mean? Like, we talk about this, this specifically in regards to women writers and it, it makes me so mad because we, we pit women against each other mm-hmm. and why do we do that we don't do that with men there can be more than one talented woman hundred percent there can be more than one talented woman writer why does it have to come down to these st- stupid things Sorry, that was just, I just went off on a rant and I didn't mean to. No, but it's like- fine. It's valid.
1: It's honestly, it, it points out like what type of interpretations are out there. And, you know, I'm curious to see who is writing them. Are they men or women? Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. that's something else to consider. <laughs> but um, I actually found something pretty interesting about Um, An interpretation of Frankenstein, which we could talk about this for hours and I'm not going to go there. So this will be probably like my last little um, tidbit before we wrap this one up. Um, But apparently some people interpret Frankenstein as a debate over abolition. Have you heard about this?
0: Uh, Vaguely, I recall. I think there was an article I remember reading.
1: So I thought this was so interesting because i'd never seen this before and i've studied this a lot um the revolution in the novel itself is actually not the french revolution but the one in haiti apparently um
0: oh that's fascinating
1: it could be right this is an interpretation um so for abolitionists in england the haitian revolution Um, along with continued slave rebellions in Jamaica and other West Mm -hmm. Indian sugar islands, um, raised a lot of really tough questions about liberty, equality, um, in a way that the French Revolution did not, um, since they involved racial differences. Um, And,
0: you know, the French Revolution, I mean, was very much about class differences. Right, but not racial differences. No, no, no. I mean, it, obviously race plays into class differences, but sure. when, when you look at the Storming the Bastille, when you look at all of that, that very much was uh, 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 about the, the the nobility and and the people serving. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Well, this is just another perspective that could be, right? Like, we can't mm-hmm. ask Mary Shelley. She's not around. Sure. Um, <laughs> she's dead. She She's long gone. Um, but... What's what's interesting too is to consider the source. So being the anti-establishment people that they were, Godwin and Wollstonecraft had actually been abolitionists. So her parents were abolitionists. And both Percy and Mary Shelley were also abolitionists. And they actually refused to eat sugar because of how it was produced, which I thought was Mm. nuts. And also like so cool and interesting. Um, So the depiction of the monster himself actually has racial implications and can be interpreted as such. Um, And by the 1850s, Frankenstein's monster actually regularly appeared in American political cartoons as a nearly naked black man. So I didn't know about that. This was kind of like a a new new thing for me to learn because Mm -hmm. being portrayed that way during that time was basically utilizing a a black Frankenstein to signify slavery itself, um, seeking his vengeance upon the nation that created him. So I thought that was a really interesting interpretation. Um, I, I didn't realize that, you know, Mary Shelley and her family were abolitionists i think that's awesome
0: that's amazing um, yeah. and it makes
1: me actually like like her even more even though i already really liked <laughs> already her a lot pretty
0: hardcore fangirl yeah. yeah
1: and so i don't know i just thought that was a really interesting tidbit that i hadn't heard before and i wasn't sure if you'd heard about that either uh,
0: and and i mean i i'm not gonna lie it's it's, it's been a minute it's been a hot second since yeah. i've like gone down um the Mary Shelley Rabbit Hole mm-hmm. uh I I read her in my undergrad work and obviously cuz you know uh even as a drama major um we we read Mary Shelley's work and I have a love of of Frankenstein I've read her her diaries her journal uh is fascinating And available. But no, this was this this is new. This is this is pretty cool. It's I gave Kim something new. I feel so proud. I have not because I'm this many years old too. Like undergraduate for me. We're not gonna talk about how many years ago undergraduate was for me. I mean it's similar for me as well. So I my 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 postgrad degree was Closer and even that was years ago. Um, and my postgrad degree was was Shakespeare and classical acting. So, you know, we didn't talk about Mary Shelley then. We talked about Shakespeare and Jacobean and shit. Um no, this is this is I've not gone down a Mary Shelley rabbit hole in it probably at least 10 years. Well, you're welcome. Um Thank you. So but I mean <laughs>
1: one thing that we have definitely seen is pop culture. And yes, absolutely. many depictions of Frankenstein mm-hmm. and the monster since this book was uh, written, for, like you mentioned, the 1931 classic film. Um me Ooh, about it later. Ooh, I love I love that you'll talk about it. I can't wait to hear. Uh, Young Frankenstein is my personal favorite rendition of oh my God. any Young, Frankenstein
0: movie. Young Frankenstein. And it's I talked to this with some of my student actors I've been talking, I, I have, I'm teaching an a acting for film class right now, and I talk a lot about um, comedy. Nice. And the difference, the different types of comedy, and I, I, I've referenced um, Gene Wilder as a comic actor. I love him. Gene Wilder and Lucille Ball is the two I keep being like, if you don't know these names, and I realize these are older names, but you should understand the reference, so look them up.
1: It blows my mind that people wouldn't know those names. It makes me feel very old.
0: To be, to be fair, these are like, you know, 15, 16-year-olds. But
1: still, the internet exists, guys.
0: Well, and Kim exists, and part of my job, part of what I look at right now when I'm teaching film classes, when I'm teaching acting classes is, hey, y'all. It might be the year 2022, but I'm going to talk about some older artists you should know. And so I feel like part of my job is introducing these subjects.
1: Bless you. Mm. Bless you. Uh, (laughs) Another one of my favorites is Frankenweenie.
0: (laughs) Oh, Frank and Weenie! <laughs> it's such a cute one. I Both love the, it. The original Tim Burton short film, yep. and then the the one that he did.
1: There's a newer I one like, that came out not that long ago. I, I
0: keep wanting to say it was a couple years ago, but it was like it's definitely more than a couple years ago. ago. Yeah. At this point, yeah, yeah, no. But I remember the the original short film very very strongly. I know, as a um, kid, I remember watching that. There, yeah, there, but like you like Mary Shelley, the whole idea of, of it's alive, alive. It's a pop culture thing at this point, not just Frankenstein, but this idea of, 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 of the creating undead. something, the undead. Well, okay. So earlier tonight, I'm not talking about creepy critics Cornell because I didn't think it was that good, but I, I watched for hundred days of horror tonight. I watched the new Munsters movie, which is Rob Zombie and what is one of the characters in the monsters but a frankenstein like creature and it's comedic and it's it's played for comedy both in the original sitcom and and in the movie um but but frankenstein at this point is up there he is one of universal's monsters mm-hmm. he is a dracula mm-hmm. he is a this is this is pop classic culture this mm-hmm. is something where I can say Frankenstein to a child, and a child may not have seen or read it, but they understand the reference, mm-hmm. and that is significant. Mary Shelley
1: lives on. Um, Mary Shelley
0: lives on, and it's, I almost want to say that every time mm-hmm. to a kid. Like, I understand you're eight, and and I shouldn't be putting this much on you, but <laughs> like. Learn your source material, It's okay. Child. Just make them listen
1: to this episode and we'll bleep out the F word. Oh,
0: bleep um, out the F word because I said it a lot tonight, <laughs> which I don't normally do. That's okay. One of the
1: ones that I actually really enjoyed was the representation of a Frankenstein-like character in Penny Dreadful. Um, oh, yeah. Penny Dreadful. Because, that
0: was a good series. Oh,
1: God. I loved the original. Like, first, the, I mean, the, they have some newer versions, but um, the original was so good. And uh-huh. the, the Frankenstein character was such an emotional character um, in that. And he really had uh, a lot of he he spoke very clearly, was a very literate person uh-huh. um, and a person. He was considered a person. And it wasn't as monstery as you would think it would be. And I felt like that was one of the best portrayals of a Frankenstein, not Frankenstein, but the monster character of Frankenstein in a more recent depiction. Um do you have a particular favorite Frankenstein depiction?
0: I mean, I I love young Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Uh that is absolutely favorite I I will say. And this isn't what I was going to talk about in Creepy Critics Corner, but I will say the the Bride of Frankenstein. Mhm. Um which uh, was was a 1935 film. It, the, the original Frankenstein was 1931. Bride of Frankenstein was 1935. Um, the Bride of Frankenstein was a, a big influence on me, has been a big influence on me, both as a film. Uh, it influences, weirdly, this might be kind of silly to say, but the first time I saw it, I was really struck by how theatrical it was. Mm-hmm. Um, how theatrical the the acting was. I mean, some of that was just the older films, but but *Writer Frankenstein* has always been a mildly more influential film than the original, and one that I think is is really a brilliant piece of filmmaking. Um, the Frankenstein movies, from a film standpoint, are really really interesting, and I will say Kenneth Branagh's Frankenstein is a more Accurate adaptation of the novel, mm-hmm. then I mean, like the 1931 version, oh. which is is extremely cruciatingly influential from a filmmaking standpoint and from a a, a pop culture standpoint, but his 1994, Kenneth Branagh's 1994, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. There's a reason it's called Mary Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Yeah. Because, and this was part, Oh yeah, this was, so this was when there was a period in the nineties. This was when Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula came out. There was this whole kind of revival of some of these monster stories and these classic horror stories they were influential from a literature standpoint as well as later as a filmmaking standpoint.
1: I love that. I love that so much. Mm-hmm. So basically overall, I uh, hope we did Mary Shelley justice uh, with, with this one, but I, I think, you know, it's a very sad background story about mm-hmm. Mary Shelley and what she went through. And um, she, her life was riddled with tragedy and she, Was able to take that and transform it into the sum of the monsters parts of uh, the monster of Frankenstein. And now because of her trauma and tragedy, we have this forever character that will evolve and either be dramatic, comedic, what have you. But a presence in our pop culture forever, in my opinion. Um, But really grateful for her and her sass and
0: Mm -hmm. maybe
1: the next time somebody asks me to cook something i might just throw something in the oven walk away and read a book uh, and hope that they figure out that it's burning you know like it's a true inspiration that was mary shelley and this brings us to Creepy Critics Corner. Creepy Critics Corner. Kim,
0: are you watching Frankenstein? <laughs> <laughs> I am watching a lot of things, Gabby. Um, okay, so this is a long story short for this first thing, which is Frankenstein. Uh, I, I was recently uh, uh, away with some family on vacation. I don't take vacations except like once a year, so it's a big deal. And my nephew, who's six... <laughs> Um, he, we were, we were my whole family, my, my folks, my brother, my sister-in-law and myself and a couple family friends. We, we go out to the beach on the coast and, um, I, we had just arrived. I was unpacking. I had a movie on. The movie was a hammer film and my nephew who's six was like, can I watch this? And I was like, oh, it's a hammer film. It's British. How bad can it be? Well, it was bad enough that like women were getting hit. So I was like, Oh, we're going to watch something different. Yikes. Yeah. And so he'd actually initially he picked Night Living Dead, which we watched and he fracking loved. So my six-year-old nephew loves Night Living Dead, which is brilliant. But I'm converting him to a horror film. I'm converting him to a horror fan. And so the next the next afternoon he comes into my room and he's like, I wanna watch another movie. And I was like, Okay. So I was like, like, What's not gonna traumatize him? So I'm looking at these old like universal movies, these universal monster movies, thinking these are safe. So I rewatched and we watched the nineteen thirty one Frankenstein. Nice. How did that go? Okay, so here's it he liked it. He really did. He's loving these black and white horror films, which as a 6-year-old child in the year 2022, I figured he would not. Mm-hmm. I figured he'd get bored and leave the room. No. He keeps asking me questions about these movies. At Night of the Living Dead, he was like, "Boom, question, 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 question." But Frankenstein, he was he was kind of fascinated by. And if you've never seen the 1931 Frankenstein, have you seen the 1931 Frankenstein? I've seen it a long time ago, but I haven't seen it in a long time. I I, re, I have not rewatched the 1931 version in, in a stretch. And not only, like, it's a really good film. Um, it was really interesting watching it with a kid. Uh, there's a, a specific scene. And the monster is portrayed very, very differently because the monster is portrayed as being very naive. Mm-hmm. He's not super verbal. Uh, he, he mostly, he, like, laughs at things. He cries at things. He's scared of things. But he, he's very much like a child. And there is a very specific scene where there's a little girl throwing flowers into the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know what scene you're talking about. And... Watching that scene with a kid because you know she's throwing flowers into the water and she runs out of flowers and Frankenstein is throwing flowers with her and she's not afraid of Frankenstein. Everybody's afraid of Frankenstein, so this is really kind of beautiful moment. But then Frankenstein is confused because he's been throwing these things into the water with her, so he throws her into the water. And it, it's it's particularly interesting because when you view Frankenstein as this kind of innocent. He doesn't understand that by throwing her into the water, it's killing her. Mm -hmm. But that's not the character Mary Shelley wrote. So watching that version of Frankenstein really recently is kind of fascinating compared to the original intention of the author. So if you've, if you've never watched the 1931 universal frankenstein and then the bride of frankenstein which is a personal favorite of mine i love the bride of frankenstein i recommend you watch that the other movie i I watched recently i saw an early screening of it and at this point it is in wide release is the movie pearl i've heard it so good did you see
1: x not yet i haven't
0: seen anything (laughs) See X before you see Pearl, and I saw X. I can't remember whether or not I spoke to it on Creepy Critic Corner. I hope I did, because I, I loved X. Yeah, I, X was such a great, like, homage to your 1970s grindhouse, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, Ty West, I'm a Ty West fan. I like Ty West movies, and and he really understands not just genre, but time period. Pearl is delightful because Pearl is an origin story. Mm -hmm. And Pearl is this, like, fucked up Wizard of Oz technicolor slasher uh, of, of... a character you will later meet in X. Um, but but the whole thing, and, and I think, again, Ty West is so smart in how he's telling the stories because he uses all the conventions of the time mm-hmm. to tell different stories. So in X, he's using the conventions of 1970s filmmaking. In Pearl, the, the story takes place during World War I, but it has this kind of 1930s filmmaking Vibe to it. That's cool. It's really cool. It's really well done. And Mia Goth is, and oh, she's, I heard she's good. Great. She's good in X. In Pearl, it just transcends. Nice. I
1: actually, um, Chelsea Wolf helped write the music
0: oh, for yes. X. I'm literally wearing uh-huh. her shirt
1: right now. Yeah. Um, she's one of my favorite musicians. She's very good. Um, so I, I was looking forward to seeing X because of that specifically. Oh, and look at you're holding it up. I love it. Um, I just have to watch it. I haven't had a chance because you know who my husband is. So um, well, maybe we'll watch it. We'll watch it together. I'd be happy to watch it with you. Um, nice. Very cool. Kim really loves it uh very nice thank you for the extended creepy critics corner on frankenstein (laughs) so our whole episode's basically a creepy critics corner and then an actual creepy critics corner of it so that was perfect what have you been watching um i actually started watching Dahmer on um netflix Mm. which i am very torn about um Mm. and i am torn because of what we talk about Every time we talk about serial killers frequently, Um, Kim's
0: very strong feelings about a lot of different things about glamorizing
1: serial killers and not giving credit or the celebrity. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and not just not giving credit, but like not speaking to the victims. Um, I actually was reading something recently. Someone posted something somewhere. I don't remember where it was, but about how, like, one of the victim's siblings was quoted directly in the show. Oh,
0: um, the speech? Yeah. Have you seen I haven't the gotten actual... there yet.
1: I haven't watched all of it yet because I've only seen the first two episodes and I haven't gotten through everything, so I'm not quite there. But just to see what this sibling of the victim said really put a bad taste in my mouth.
0: To watch, the, there, there's been on social media, there's a lot of video side by sides of the actor and the actual speech, and like it, it makes me want to vomit. Um, I, 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 and I haven't watched Dahmer yet. I have been listening and reading accounts of, of from the families for a while now, and it, it, it leaves a very bad taste in my yeah, mouth.
1: People didn't have permission. Um definitely didn't have permission to use that information
0: or anything. In 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 the Dahmer case specifically, (sighs) Dahmer to me has always been treated very differently than uh, um other true crime cases. Mm -hmm. And I hate to say that I think some of it has to do with the fact that but his victims were primarily people of color.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um but he's he's become a punchline in a way that i find incredibly distasteful personally mm-hmm. and and the the treatment of him the the casual way in which this netflix series is dealing with actual trauma
1: mm-hmm.
0: i find to be to be difficult difficult to consume
1: I agree. And I I feel like that's why I'm saying I'm torn on it because, like, I want to watch it. Mm -hmm. Um, Though just even the first episode is so suspenseful. Sure. Is it Ryan Ryan Murphy? Yeah, Ryan Murphy did it, of course, because it's Evan Peters and Ryan Murphy, and they are in love and Evan Peters. Yeah, Evan Peters has been every horrible character because of Ryan Murphy. I think
0: Evan Peters is also a fantastic actor. Oh, he's a phenomenal actor. he's, He's absolutely brilliant. He
1: does a great job. As this character. Yeah. Um, and it's terrifying. It's absolutely yeah. terrifying. It's sure. Sure. Um, I think it's one of the more suspenseful shows that I've seen portraying this type of situation. Sure. Um, but the scenes in which he's with a person that you know something is gonna happen with
0: sure. are so yeah.
1: like a majority of the episode. It's very yeah. long and drawn out, and it builds suspense in a way that feels like anxiety ridden. Um, it, so they did a good job with that. But I mean, at the same time, I just, again, it, it puts a bad taste in my mouth just yeah. watching it.
0: Uh, um, yeah. I, I, again, I, <clears throat> I feel it. Um, yeah. I, I haven't started watching it partially. I, I tend in general to lean more towards the documentaries uh, in general because I, I like facts and I'm versus, like, well, I want to watch
1: glamorizing <sighs>
0: If I'm going to watch a dramatization of something, half the time I get pissed off because what they're speaking to isn't accurate. So I I, I am more likely to watch a documentary on a killer rather than a, a, a dramatization of them <laughs> or a show. Yeah, because uh, I, 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 I just end up getting mad because I am who I am. <laughs> um, but but the Dahmer one specifically, and... We can come Ryan, back
1: to it, too, after you've watched it and kind of go through it in depth.
0: Yeah. Ryan Murphy, I have a, a complicated relationship with, too. Um, but this, the the Dahmer one specifically, and, and it's, I say this is somebody I really enjoyed, the My Friend Dahmer. But part of why I thought My Friend Dahmer was a really interesting adaptation of a, a graphic novel that was done is that the creators of My Friend Dahmer went to school with him. So it was very much their perspective of him prior to him becoming a serial killer. I I never felt the kind of glamorizing or the kind of like, I don't know, turning like Jeffrey Dahmer into a fetish that that, that it sort of feels like in some of the other material. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so again, I I very much enjoyed both the graphic novel and, and the movie of my friend Dahmer But it was also not looking at a period of life where he was actively murdering people. And it it didn't feel like we're trying to turn him into some kind of like weird hero or I don't, I, I am the kind of person I am actively turned off by the caricatures the boogeyman the fi- the mythology of of um serial killers because it, it's making them other in a way that i think they sh- they shouldn't become
1: yeah it's all about the narrative right
0: yeah yeah
1: but um yeah so i'm curious to see what your thoughts are once you start watching it i have to sure. i couldn't watch more than two episodes at once to be completely honest with you because it was very heavy um So I stopped after two episodes and I watched something light and stupid as I usually do. Good. But I also watched a show called The Real Blake Ring Hollywood Heist, which. Oh, I read about that. (laughs) That takes place where I'm from. Um, literally, yeah. they they sure, talk sure, about sure, sure. The, the main guy in it went to my high school. They talk about my I'm high in school way. in this show. They talk That's about bonkers. my parents' neighborhood in the show, um, and the Valley of LA and all that. And it's just, I always think it's really funny when I hear a portrayal of that as someone who's from there. And how, like, oh, the people who don't, like, succeed in Los Angeles go to the Valley. It's like, fuck off. No, there's a bunch of people who actually just live there and are from there and it has nothing to do yeah. with whether this or not is, they... This is our life. Succeeded in Los Angeles. It's like, this is just a neighborhood and it's residential and this is where people live. Like, mm-hmm. um but yeah, it's a wild story about some, like, bored kids that decided to rob Paris Hilton and Orlando Bloom and get away with it for a while. Um And... <sighs> It's bonkers, um, but uh, uh, worth a worth a watch. You might be into worth it. A um, that's a, that's what I've been watching. But All right. having said that, we are so close to our Pacific Northwest True Crime Fest. I believe. I, I
0: think- the last, the, or the next thing you're going to hear from us is Pacific Northwest True Crime Fest, Live, correct? live recording. Yeah.
1: So this is our, our our last episode before Pacific mm-hmm. Northwest True Crime Fest. So if you've not yet gotten your tickets for it, go to PNW, uh, truecrimefest.com. You can get a discount of 15% off your ticket if you use Ghoulish 15 as your discount code. So come join us on October 8th at uh, Pacific Northwest True Crime Fest. Uh Um, And for those of you who know this already or don't know, we love your support. So please uh, head on over to Apple Podcasts spotify wherever you'd like to leave a review or a rating we totally appreciate it we also have a patreon which we've mentioned a couple of times with some goodies on there and some tidbits for you to listen to as well and if you like what we do let us know we love to hear it Um, find us anywhere on social medias with ghoulish tendencies podcast thank you for listening and stay spooky